Jeremiah 29, we're reading verses 4 through 14. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not, let the dreams, uh, do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that your welfare, Lord, your peace would rest upon us in this place. God, there's many things in life to be anxious about. There's many things to be fearful of and worried for. There's much chaos and turmoil around us. Sometimes the holidays causes it to slow down. Sometimes the holidays cause it to ramp up. But God, peace comes from you. And so we pray that as we read your word, that your Holy Spirit would not only teach us your word, but that your Holy Spirit would give us peace. We pray it in Jesus' name together. Amen. Um, during World War I, on Christmas Eve, uh, December 24th, 1914, uh, soldiers from both sides of World War I along the Western Front declared an unofficial ceasefire and actually shared meals together, and even played a game of football against one another. Military enemies, nations at war, because of Christmas, they paused and they came together. And what is today known as the Christmas truce. The world is is full of, of violence and turmoil, but in one of the bloodiest wars in world history, the world actually got a glimpse of the power of the child in the manger. Such a such a uh, a weak and frail thing, a baby born in poverty, lying in an animal's feeding trough, and because this happened in world history, World War One stopped for two days. Psalm 46.9 says, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. 
And that was certainly true for a moment. It was beautiful. It was powerful. They played football together. It's crazy. Unfortunately, on December 26th, 1914, both sides resumed killing each other. And the world would have to continue waiting for the peace that we truly need. Now, most of us will not experience war. Some of you have experienced war. You've been there. You've seen that. You've, you've suffered the effects of war. But we all know what it means to want peace. We all long for peace. But what is it? What is peace? And how can you find it? See, the word peace in English usually refers to a lack of hostility, right? In terms of nations being at war, peace means that they are not at war. There is no violence between the nations. But outside of a military context, peace also implies a lack of hostility, a lack of warfare. It means calm and tranquility. If you are at peace, it means you are not at struggle, There's no chaos in your life in that moment. Like when I was a kid and my siblings and I were causing chaos in the house, my mom would disappear to some other room in the house yelling, can I just have five minutes of peace? Right? Calm, quiet, just stop. Just a ceasing of all of the noise. And so peace in our context is when the troubles and the noise of the world go away. For, for a time, however long that may be. In Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. You've heard it before. It's a, it's a traditional Jewish greeting, shalom, peace to you. The word shalom actually occurs four times in our passage, uh, but the ESV translation does not translate it peace. It's translated as welfare. See it three times in verse 7 and once in verse 11. The word behind the English translation is shalom. And this should give us an insight that our idea of peace is not always the same as the biblical author's idea of peace. In fact, look at how some of the other English translations deal with the word shalom. ESV, all four times, that word shalom is translated welfare. Uh, The NIV translates it as prosper. Similarly, the New American Standard says prosperity. King James, New King James translates it peace. And then I love the New Living Translation. Peace and prosperity, welfare and good. Just covering all their bases. The, 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 the range of definitions of this word is such in our English translations because they're trying to give us a grasp of what it meant to the original culture. See, throughout the Bible, shalom is not only the absence of warfare, but it is the abundance of welfare, good things, goodwill, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Shalom. Shalom is when all is as it should be. Things are whole, they're complete, they're healed. They're good. Such a beautiful picture. Not only the absence of warfare, but the abundance of welfare, health and happiness and good things for all people. It's very easy to want war and, and, and conflict to stop, but it's, it's difficult for us to know what to do about it. 
how do we how do we actually pursue peace in the world? It's difficult uh, enough to, to to stop conflict. It's a whole other thing to pursue good things for other people, right? Both sides of, of shalom are difficult to pursue. It actually requires us to change. I think this was demonstrated in a humorous way in 2011. Uh, when NBA bad boy Ron Artest legally changed his name to Meta World Peace. This is the same guy who just a few years before is known for the malice at the palace, where he cleared a row of seats and punched a fan in the face for heckling him. World Peace. The whole world laughed because they're like, maybe peace on the court, and then we'll talk about peace on earth. Uh, he, he, he's, he's experienced a ton of transformation in his life. I don't want to throw, he's actually changed his name legally back, uh, not to run our test, but meta something, our test, I don't know. Uh, experienced a lot of transformation, a lot of change in, in his life. But the whole world looked at that and was like, what do you mean world peace? Celebrities and athletes And beauty pageant contestants can talk about world peace all they want. And it's just talk. It's all just talk. If we we struggle to have peace in our own lives and our own relationships, how are we going to talk about peace on a global scale? If there's fear in our hearts, if there's violence in our homes, if there's corruption in our community, what makes us think we can actually pursue peace on earth? So we need peace in this world, but the problem is more widespread than we acknowledge. It's not just peace between nations that we need. It's peace that transforms every relationship. And so I want to identify four contexts where people are commonly living without peace. The first is living without peace with God. We have no peace with God. This is where it all stems from. The lack of peace in the world. It all stems from there being no peace between us and God. We were made to live in intimacy with our creator. And if we're not experiencing that intimacy, everything else in life is going to feel out of whack. I've talked about this before. Um, uh, Forgive me for being a broken record. Uh, But I have one of my, my cranial nerves doesn't work. I have a fourth nerve palsy. And so because of that, my left eye doesn't work. I see double all the time. My glasses help, but my brain compensates by cocking my head to the right. It's so that I can bring two images together. Now you can't unsee it. I'm sorry. But because of my head tilt, I have neck issues. And because I have neck issues, I have back issues. Because I have back issues, I have hip issues. Because I have hip issues, I have knee issues. Does anyone know a good chiropractor? Uh, <laughs> hands raised. Awesome. Uh, when, when, when your head is, is not aligned, everything else is trying to bend to compensate. And so if there is a problem in our most significant relationships... Relationship with God, relationship with a spouse, relationship with parents or children, those closest to us, we are going to experience an imbalance in every other relationship. 
And so the lack of peace that we experience in our hearts and our minds and our relationship, it all begins with this relationship, peace with God. Nothing will impact your lack of peace like living without peace with God. Whether it's because you're disappointed in God, too many prayers gone unanswered, you're angry with God because of things that he's allowed in your life or fearful of the things he will allow in your life or you're distant from him because of the sin in your life, we're going to experience the fallout from this lack of peace. And if you're struggling to have peace with God, chances are reading your Bible is a struggle. Because every time you open it, you just read condemnation. You read fear. You read violence. You read distance. Prayer is almost impossible because it feels like calling a friend on the phone whom you've betrayed and trying to ignore the hostility and the difficulty there. Coming to church, worship, relationships with other believers feels forced and inauthentic. Is this about sum it up? These are symptoms that you might be living apart from peace with God. Some of you today are living apart from this peace with God. Another context where we often lack peace in our relationships is peace with one another. We have no peace with others. The same thing that causes the brokenness in our experience of God hinders our relationships with one another as well. Sure, there may be people that you enjoy and experience peace around, but what about others? What about these these other relationships that you ignore or neglect to talk about? What about those who have hurt you? or those who have been hurt by you? Is there peace? Not just calm, not just an absence of hostility, but is there a presence of hospitality, of goodwill, generosity, welfare? So because of trauma in our lives or drama between relationships, we all experience a lack of peace with certain people. And it, may be, it may, might feel better to fill that space with anger or, or bitterness, but there is no peace. Something has to be done about it. Some of you are thinking of particular relationships right now that are longing for peace. Maybe you have no peace within yourself. Maybe you struggle with anxiety or depression, worry and fear. Maybe the lack of peace you experience internally is due to a failing body, either because of illness or injury or aging. Remember, shalom is is when everything is as it should be. And many of us are aware that our bodies, our minds are not as they should be. Our emotional health is not what it should be. And we're desperate for peace. If you're a believer, one context where you do not experience peace is peace with the world. If you're a believer in Jesus, then it's absolutely certain that there will be no peace between you and the world. We live in a world, in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to Jesus and to his church, either because of the Bible's claim that salvation is exclusively found in Jesus 
or because of the Bible's high moral ethic regarding things like gender, sexuality, or abortion, the world looks at the church and looks at Christians and says, you are hateful, you are intolerant, the Bible is hate speech, and things are becoming increasingly more hostile. And though Christians are not always the target of active persecution in places like Carpinteria and the United States. The world is becoming increasingly hostile and we are becoming increasingly unwelcome. Peter calls us elect exiles, chosen by God, but living in a world that doesn't belong to us. Just like Israel in the exile, chosen by God, but living in a world that was hostile to them. So whenever we experience a lack of peace, our knee-jerk reaction is to grab on to something, to gravitate to something or some experience to make us feel better, to to reestablish homeostasis, the equilibrium, to, to make us feel safe again. But this rarely deals with the actual problem. It only creates a false peace. And so today we need to be aware not only of where we are living with no peace, but where we are living with fake peace. See, fake peace is like fake sugar. Okay, it tastes good for the slightest moment and then it just leaves a nasty taste in your mouth and is probably causing cancer. Fake peace might make you feel good for a moment, but it heals nothing. And it only creates a context where bitterness is allowed to grow, where you're allowed to be comfortable in the hostility. It's dangerous. When struggling to find peace with God, let's revisit these contexts. When we have no peace with God, there are two ways that we can pursue false peace. The first is to just get rid of God. When there's there's distance, when there's difference between you and God, the first way is just, I'm going to do away with God. I'm going to either uh, stop believing and become an atheist, or I'm going to follow the false gospel of universalism that you know, God doesn't exist or sin is not, doesn't have any consequence. And so I can live however I please. And now this relationship with God doesn't make me feel uncomfortable anymore. One of the ways that we can experience a false peace with God is to just write God off and reject him. The second way people can pursue a false peace with God is through legalism. If I'm just good enough, If I just do all of the right things, then God will have to bless me. He will have to accept me if I am just good enough. Now, this sounds like the opposite of rejecting God, but legalism is just another way to reject God. You're saying, no, thank you, Jesus. I don't need a savior. I'm good on my own sounds exactly the same as the other side. No, thank you, Jesus. I don't need your exclusive claims to salvation or your high moral standard. I'm good on my own. We can experience a false peace with God by rejecting God through licentiousness, 
or through legalism, trying to be our own savior. And neither one can actually give us the peace that we need. Only Jesus can do that. If we're struggling to find peace with one another, a false peace available is similar. We simply cut the person off, ghost them. Because if they're not in my life, then they can't bring any hostility into my life. And so I am now at peace because I am not going to deal with the difficulty of this relationship. And it might feel better than facing the the conflict, but it's not peace. It's the splenda of peace. Love going to coffee shops and hearing people talk about how they don't eat sugar and just dumping Splenda into their drinks. I'm pretty sure it causes cancer. Splenda manufacturers are going to sue me. When we lack peace with God or with one another, we can deal with a false peace just by cutting people off. When we lack peace within ourselves... We escape from the hostility, okay? Escapism, amusement, distraction, sex, and substances are all sought in order to take our minds off of the pain, off of the difficulty that we experience in our life. And it might bring relief for a moment, but it's not peace. The war still wages on. We just close our eyes to it. This is what the world loves to preach today, right? The world and and culture, uh, it's become very popular to talk about meditation. Not biblical meditation where you fill your mind with the word of God, but transcendental meditation where you empty your mind and transcend this physical world and transcend the pain. And if you lack peace, then you need to meditate. It's false peace. Just closing your eyes to it. And opening yourself up to a world of hurt. It's distraction. It's escapism. We will never find peace by escaping the conflict. Something must be done about it. Likewise, we'll never find peace with this world. Jesus promised that the world would hate us as it hated him. When it comes to the world and our relationships with the world, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Because of our allegiance to Jesus, the world will turn against us. Jesus says, don't be alarmed by that. It's going to happen, but know that they hated me first. And so we're in good company. But we still try to settle for pursuing a false peace with the world. And this is a big thing for the American church right now. We can pursue a false peace with the world through compromise and control. Compromise and control. When the world comes against us for our faith, we're often tempted to compromise our theology, our integrity, our morality. This is the the classic, if you can't beat them, join them mentality. When I was 19, I was a brand new believer. I was living with uh, all non-believers and they were all very smart, far smarter than I was. And they knew more about Christianity than I did, although it was an atheist's perspective of Christianity, but they made their arguments well. And for a season, I could not engage with them and had the hardest time experiencing peace in this house that we lived in together. So I joined them. I just started partying again and started living like the non-Christians that I was living with in order to find peace in our home. False peace. I compromised. It didn't work. Made things worse. 
made the lack of peace I experienced with God worse. It made the lack of peace that I experienced with other believers worse. I compromised. And so many people want to compromise. Oh, this world doesn't uh, like that the Bible teaches this thing. Well, I don't believe that anyway. Or, oh, have you read, have you read this book? Written by this guy who hates the church and abandoned Jesus. He's got a lot of really, really good things to say about Christianity. Take his word for it. The guy who rejected it. Compromise. We twist scripture and ignore other scriptures so that we can live just like the world. And we pat ourselves on the back and we say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian, but we have no faith. It's not faith. Some are tempted to compromise their character. Others will be tempted to compromise their theology, and it may feel good for a moment. But the minute you start twisting Scripture, there's no reason for you to believe any of it. If you're going to make yourself the authority over the Word of God and say that this verse or this passage doesn't mean what it says, then there's no reason for you to believe that anything else means what it says. This is why the first step to abandoning Jesus is compromise. We're told to watch our lives and our doctrine closely. To be careful that we believe the truth and we live in light of the truth. Maybe you're not tempted to compromise. Maybe you're on the other side. You refuse to bend to the world's standards, so you pursue peace with the world by trying to bend it to your standards. So you cut yourself off from the rest of the world, unless the world begins to affirm your values and live the way that you want them to live. And so you do this by turning every kingdom issue into a political issue, and you try to force a world that doesn't believe in Jesus to live as though they did. We should have no expectations of non-believers to live like anything else but non-believers. We can't expect them to live like Christians if they are not Christians. We can't expect them to live like they have the Holy Spirit if they don't have the Holy Spirit. We can have desires for those things, but we can't have those expectations. So in the same way that we can't bend to the world's standards, we need to be aware that we're never going to bend the world to biblical standards unless they have an encounter with Jesus. It's a false peace if we just get them to act like it. Scripture says that apart from Christ, they're still dead in their sins. It doesn't accomplish what we think it should. Now, without a doubt, every single one of us in this room can identify with at least one of these contexts. We are not living at perfect peace with God. We are not living at perfect peace with one another, with people in our lives. We're not living at perfect peace within ourselves, and we're not living at peace with the world. Without a doubt, all of us are experiencing a lack of peace in some context in our lives, and you will be tempted to settle for a fake peace. But fake peace just ignores the issue. It's like having symptoms of a disease but refusing to see a doctor. It's not going to go away until you actually face it and bring healing to it. And there are two reasons that these attempts at fake peace will fail every single time. The first is that they're only de dealing with one side of the problem. Remember, if shalom, biblical peace, 
is, includes the absence of warfare and the abundance of welfare, most of the time these fake pieces only focus on the conflict, eliminating the conflict, eliminating the hostility. Second, all of these fake pieces are passive. Okay, we, we want the hostility to stop. We escape. We, we cut people off. Uh, um, you know, we, we, we give up and compromise and they're passive. And so they're not actually peacemaking. They're just peacekeeping. See, many of us think that we are peacemakers, but we're really just peacekeepers. We don't rock the boat. Okay, we don't want to stir the pot. We just want to live and let live, not intervene, not upset people. We're not making peace. We're keeping peace. It's passive. Peacekeeping is refusing to rock the boat. Peacemaking is a willingness to step into the conflict and pain to bring healing. Peacekeeping is like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. Peacemaking is like surgery to remove the cancer. It hurts. It's going to require a recovery, but it's what's needed. And so in our passage, God tells Israel to seek the peace of Babylon. Can you imagine that? Babylon just broke into their home, destroyed their temple, killed their families, ushered them off into captivity, into a foreign place. They're, they're experiencing a lack of peace with God. They're disappointed in God. They're, they're, they're discouraged with God. And God says, go seek their peace. Go pursue Babylon's peace. Pray for Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, go seek their peace because in their peace, then you will have peace. And so the same is for us today. God doesn't want us living with fake peace. He wants us living to make peace. He's called us to be peacemakers. If you want peace... In these relationships, God says, go and make peace. Romans 12, 14 through 21 describes what the life of a peacemaker looks like. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, do you want peace? Make peace. Seek peace. Seek the peace of your city. Seek the peace of your community. Seek the peace of your church. Seek the peace between churches. Seek peace. Make peace. Don't just keep peace. Don't just ignore it and pretend that it'll go away. Make peace. Step into it and invest in 
peace, not just the absence of warfare, but the abundance of welfare, goodwill, peace on earth, goodwill to humanity. That is what we celebrate at Christmas time. The making of peace. Israel was called to seek the peace of Babylon. You are called to seek the peace of your city, not just to do no harm, but to do good to all people. This is what you are called to, but it's impossible. It's impossible to be a peacemaker if you do not have peace yourself. And so God has come to make peace. Israel was called to go into Babylon to seek its peace. We are called to go into the world to seek its peace. But we first need to recognize that God has come into our world to seek our peace. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for shalom. Plans for peace and not for evil. In Israel's context, they would be delivered from exile in Babylon. They would be restored to the promised land. The city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. The temple would be rebuilt. But ultimately, we know that this is true, that ultimately it was to send his son to die for our sins and to bring peace. See, the the primary reason that our attempts at fake peace don't work is not just because it's one-sided, only deals with the hostility, but not the welfare. It's not just because it's passive. The ultimate reason that our attempts at false peace fail is because they don't actually deal with the root issue, which is sin. Now, I know it's not popular to talk about sin in our culture, and it's especially not popular to turn a a Christmas message into a, a message about sin because we don't like to think about it. We want to think about the gifts and good things and the lights and the food and the presents and the people and the family, all of those things. But Christmas is about sin. Make no mistake. The baby in the manger came because of sin. Came to deal with Sin, it's not popular to talk about it, but the lack of peace we experience is an evidence of its existence. The lack of peace we experience is because of sin, ultimately. Sin is hostility against God. It is hostility against others. It's the hostility, the warfare that we experience from other people in our lives who wound us or reject us. Sin is hostility against God and others, even the sin that we think is private. Okay, it's deadly for relationships. And so the path toward peace must eliminate sin. It must remove sin from the equation. And this is what we remember during Christmas, that the child in the manger is God's peace offering to you. This is his offering of peace because the child in the manger would become the man on the cross. We can't separate Christmas and Easter. We need both. Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter, we can't separate it from the cross. Listen to Colossians 1, 19 through 22. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, even that, that baby in the manger. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once 
alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. All of us at one point in time were alienated from God, experienced hostility toward God. But because of Jesus, the child in the manger, the man on the cross, the man in the tomb, the man who raised from the dead, the man who ascended to the right hand of God in heaven, because of him, we have been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. The reason we can have peace with God is because Jesus has made peace by his blood. The reason we can have peace with one another is because we can forgive as Christ has forgiven us. If the cross was enough to forgive your sin against God and the sin of the person sitting next to you against God, then it is certainly powerful enough to forgive your sin against the person next to you and forgive their sin against you. The cross is the power for forgiveness. We can be at peace with God and at peace with one another because our sin has been forgiven. The playing field has been leveled. We are sinners saved by grace. Shouldn't be surprised that we still experience sin and temptation or that people still hurt us or hurt our feelings. Should not be surprised, but we should be ready to forgive as we have been forgiven. Because of Jesus, we've been reconciled to God and to one another. And where there was once warfare, there is now opportunity for an abundance of welfare. In Christ, God has sought and established your shalom. In Christ, you are given peace with God. In Christ, you can make peace with one another. In Christ, all things are as they should be because of Jesus. This world shall be all that it was intended to be because of Jesus. One day, this creation, the new creation, the heavens and the earth will be full of peace. You will experience the shalom that your heart and your relationships long for. And so if you would truly celebrate Jesus this Christmas, not just some sentimental or cultural holiday, if you would truly celebrate Jesus, all that he is and all that he has done for you, then receive Jesus as the peace that God has established between you and him. Receive Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins, making peace by the blood of his cross and establishing intimacy between you and the God of heaven. God has made peace. If you would truly celebrate Jesus this Christmas season, make peace with those that are alienated from you. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's another believer. Make peace. Your efforts might feel insignificant, but let's be honest, the child in the manger looks insignificant. And he established peace. And so your efforts, whatever you are able to do, maybe it's a phone call. Celebrate Christmas this season by making peace, by extending the peace to others that God has extended to you. 
Receive the peace that God has established between you and him and then go make peace where there is no peace. Bring peace into this world. Forgive, be forgiven, love, pursue good things to those who do not have good things. Don't settle for fake peace. Don't just be peacekeepers, be peacemakers, because Jesus has given you abundant peace to share with the world. Go and seek the peace of Babylon and know that the plans that the Lord has for you is plans for peace. Even in a world that will be hostile to you, his plan for you is peace in Christ. Receive that peace in Jesus' name today. Heavenly Father, we believe that you are peace, that you have established peace, and that by your grace we can receive peace because of the blood of Christ on the cross. God, we can know these things to be true, but we need your spirit to apply it to our hearts. And so, Lord, where we sit, in the chaos and the confusion, the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our relationships, God, I pray that through faith you would enter in and that right now our hearts would be filled with peace. Peace.